0: As kids leave the room, some kids, and as you uh, situate into your seat, I want to, before we launch this new year and new sermon series, I want to call your attention to something that's happening at the end of this month, at the end of January. It's called Finders Keepers. And there it is right there. You'll see a graphic. Uh, It's a marriage conference, and uh, it's the end of the month. It's a Friday night and Saturday. The cost is $40 per couple or per person. And I say that because. Everybody that's interested is invited. Certainly, if you're married, you're invited. That's the keeper part. Uh, 21 years ago, I met a beautiful gal in Colorado, and uh, we are celebrating our anniversary next week, and I want a keeper. And I'm hoping she wants to keep me. So at the end of the month, we're going to have a date night on Friday night and Saturday. We're going to pay 40 bucks. Make sure to write that check, babe. We're going to pay $40. bucks. we are going to come to this conference, and we're going to seek to keep each other. Dr. John Cox is going to be here. The guy is really, really smart. Uh, some of you gone to John for marriage counseling. Don't look down and be ashamed of yourself. We all, we all need help. In this area. And the the finder part is uh, maybe you're not married, but you wanna be. And this conference is gonna be really good for you. You won't meet your mate there necessarily, but you'll learn some stuff. So we wanna encourage you $40. Here's what $40 gets you it gets you the weekend, Friday night and Saturday morning. It's not a sleepover thing, this isn't a church lock in. You'll go home and you'll come back, just wanna be clear. But it'll get you also, if you register, we'll be thinking about this as well, Susan and I, but our $40 registration covers us, and it gives us an opportunity to therefore invite somebody for free. And if money's an issue, let us know. I'm sure somebody would be willing to scholarship you guys. But you guys think of that, finders, keepers. We really have a heart for families here at Fondren Church, and we want to do more. We want to think and pray and think of ways that we can build into our homes as a pastor, I want to make sure I'm protecting my heart and protecting my home. And we want to help you do the same. We want to help you with your heart in this area, this most vital of relationships. And so please uh, consider that. And y'all come join. It's going to be a good time. Just nod your head if you heard me and yeah, you're relatively enthusiastic about it. You're not making a commitment, okay? But uh, good stuff. We we, uh, launch a new year. Happy New Year, by the way. Have we said that? Happy New Year. I don't know if Topher said that. I I was in here right after service started. Laura, did you say happy? Laura said Happy New Year. It means so much coming from Laura McAlpin. But uh, Happy New Year to everybody. We begin a new sermon series this morning called, maybe you've seen it online, it's called Insomnia, What Keeps You Up at Night? And we're going to turn, in fact, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 57. You don't have to. We're not forcing your hand on this, but we'll put the passage up on the, the dual screens in just a moment. But uh, Psalm 57 and the passage. If you see a black complimentary ESV Study Bible in front of you, it's page 477. Page 477. Some of us are, you know, feel a little um, intimidated to turn in the Bible, and we want to take the edge off of that. So turn to page 477. If you do so in the black ESV Study Bible, um, you'll see Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Insomnia, let's begin. How about we begin with a definition? Don't need to, but let's do that anyway. Here's an insomnia it's a sleep disorder in which there's the inability to fall asleep or to stay asleep as long as des- desired. Most of you are probably thinking, you know, Robert, I don't need uh, insomnia definition. My life is an insomnia demonstration. You know, Americans, we have a, a sleep deficit. We're popping pills in record numbers. We pop pills at night to go to sleep and we chug expensive drinks to stay awake. We have sleep number beds and sound wave machines and total uh, blackout shades, but it seems to be doing very little to help us Get to sleep at night. One young woman in our church is a new doctor at St. Dominic's, and she texts me this week in light of this upcoming series, and she said, hey, I'm looking forward to what you have to say theologically, practically on this area. As a doctor, I'm telling you that about six out of eight patients I'm running into suffer from some level of sleep disorder. What are the results of sleep disorder? If this was a small group, we could just have you go around the circle, right? You could tell us. Some of you could tell us the effects, of insomnia, of sleeplessness. Uh, they range from increased irritability, testify, to fatal car accidents. Um, it, we're affected. It's affecting us in record numbers. What does uh, Scripture have to say about this uh, theology of sleep? Surprisingly, it has a lot to say. In fact, framing this series that we'll do in uh, all of January is Psalm chapter 4. In verse 8, going to give you several Psalms today as we walk through Psalm 57. But he says this, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Look at Psalm 3 and verse 5, very similar words, but it has the waking up part. I lie down and asleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Every thought about sleep as peace, sleep as trust, sleep as relinquishing Control. When, when you go to sleep, you're saying that I'm taking my hands off the steering wheel. You're kind of doing a carry underwood, saying, Jesus, take the wheel. I trust that you've got this thing by sleeping and by rising, by waking up. Topher prayed a prayer just a moment ago. Hey, God, you've given us another year. Isn't that good? And there's no guarantee, though, right? There's no guarantee we're all going to make it a whole another year. I mean, we've been given another day, and today your heart will beat 108,000 times approximately. We've been, you know, but think of God's faithfulness when you wake up. it's it's his faithfulness in your life. I went, I joined some of the folks, some of the good folks in Fondren Church who were ministering some of the good folks in Woodland Hills and Stan and Ramona Troy and Kathy and some folks were uh, over across uh, the way, Diane DeFore. They were in the kitchen over here and they were making meals for some of the homebound people. And I showed up and I got to go, they designated me to go visit Mr. Dunaway who lives nearby me right here in Fondren and he's over a hundred years old. Okay, I mean, this guy, he's on his way to Willer Scott and a jar of smuckers he's gonna be on. I mean, he's gonna be, he's a hundred and counting. And you know what one of the things we talked about? Sleep, because old people talk a lot about sleep, don't they? You don't hear young people. They're not down there in the preschool going, well, tell me about the quality and duration of your sleep last night, right? Young people don't do that, but old people do. But think about the faithfulness. If you're over 100 years old, how many times have you lied down and how many times have you woken up? And the psalmist is saying here, "Hey, there's this theology of sleep because it's really not about sleep; it's about trust. It's really, it's a, it's a peace issue." Ever tried praying when you're sleepy? How's that go for you? Not well, huh? There's a story in First Kings of Elijah, and Elijah is gonna—he's called to spend time in solitude. Uh, a, a significant period of solitude and prayer, and an angel of the Lord visits him and tells him to take not one nap but two naps. How good is that? There's a scene where Elijah is depressed, and God, the angel tells him, "Go into the into this uh, cave, sit down, have a snack, and take a nap." That's that's a very spiritual thing. Take take a nap, have a snack. The angel of the Lord in First Kings says, says to him, "Hey." Take a nap, take two naps so that you'll be ready. Now, contrast that with the disciples in the garden where they were trying to pray as Jesus commanded. and What did they do? Fell asleep. There's that famous passage in Matthew 26. Uh, we say it often when we, when we talk about the willpower, when we make New Year's resolutions. The spirit is willing, what? But the flesh is weak. God, I can't stay awake to, to your purposes, to your plan For me, the spirit is willing, oh, I have good intentions, I've got resolutions, but the flesh is weak. And insomnia and sleeplessness do that to you, don't they? They do that to you because when you want to sleep and need to sleep, you cannot sleep. And then when you need to stay awake and be alert and productive and put your hand to the plow, you cannot stay awake. Look what Psalm 127 in verse 2 says. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Beautiful sentiment, isn't it? He grants sleep to those he loves, but the toil, the toiling part is what is so hard for us. Let me ask you, As we begin this morning and we begin this month, this series, what keeps you up at night? You say it's my neighbor's barking dog or it's that teething baby in the crib nearby. For Susan, she would say it's my snoring, which is not getting any better through the years. Not those kind of pesky things, but what keeps you up at night? What is that thing? That thing that has you so stressed out that when you lie down, you can't get to sleep. What is that thing that keeps you up at night? In Ecclesiastes, look at this passage here. Beautiful passage. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless over these next few weeks as you think about your heart and maybe that pocket where there's a lack of peace that thing that has you so stressed out that when you lie down you can't fall asleep that thing or those things we're going to look at some we're going to look at some things that keep us up at night that that have our minds in a in a just a perpetual loop of unrest We're going to look at anger. For instance, that could be true in your life, couldn't it? Maybe you're angry at somebody or a situation or a circumstance. And if you study, we're going to look at it biblically next week, but if you just study physiologically what happens to your body, you look at all those characteristics of an angry person. And no wonder for some of you it's hard to sleep at night. All those things that happen in your mind and your body are incompatible with rest, sleep, and peace. Maybe you just can't let go because of somebody that's done something. Something real in your life or a perceived slight or you're telling yourself a different story. You're writing a narrative and it's on a perpetual loop in your mind and you're seething. Maybe for you, your sleeplessness is an anger issue. or Maybe it's an issue of regret. We're going to talk about that in January. Something that you've done. Maybe you're sleeping right next to someone and you look over at them and they're fast asleep. That stinks, doesn't it, by the way, when you've got it and they don't? You've got the insomnia and they don't. They're just cruising. And you look over, but you've got regret and you have this fear that they could find out what you've done. There's guilt. And we've talked about this in November. There's good guilt, godly guilt, and then there's bad guilt that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 10, and there's a deeper level of guilt called shame. Maybe for you, what's keeping you up is just a sense of shame, of not knowing how to uh, experience forgiveness and how to face things, how to face things head on. And maybe it's not just what you've done and being found out about that, it's what you haven't done. And those who've studied it, really smart minds, men and women at research institutions who've really applied themselves to the subject of regret, have written about this very profoundly that most of our regrets or our deepest regrets come from things that we haven't done. The endeavor that we left untried, the spoken words that we, well, we never spoke, the letter that we didn't write, the conversation we didn't have, the risk, the bold dream that was left untried. Maybe your sleeplessness is caused by finances that consumes most marriages and most hearts, most days. Or maybe it's your dysfunctional family. We're going to look at all of those this month of January, but today I want us to look at the, the, this idea of purpose, of purpose. We, we, we see that in Ecclesiastes. That book was written. We're about to jump to Psalm 57, but Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about under the sun, under the sun. He's trying to find purpose in all of these endeavors, and he's got the resources to try it. You, you remember Solomon, right? I mean, this guy, he had the resources to do whatever he could at, at the highest level possible. When we lived out in San Diego, we were cheering for a Little League baseball team. Didn't have a kid on it. We were just cheering for them because they were in our neighborhood, and they went to the Little League World Series. And we were like, "Yay, go San Diego Little League World Series team. And then they played the team from Dominican Republic. And there was a little pitcher named Danny Almonte. And Danny Almonte just mowed everybody down. I see some of you baseball people, you, you remember this. He was mowing everybody down, a dominant pitcher. He was way bigger and stronger and faster than every other kid. And we were out there in San Diego going, this guy, he's not 12 years old, all right? He's not. Check his birth certificate, right? Go to Latin America and check it out. We were just moaning and everything, and they, they ended up winning. They, they beat San Diego in the, final, in the final game, and guess who pitched? Danny Almonte. And Sports Illustrated went to his homeland and found out that he was, after some investigative research, found out he was 16 years old. Okay, Here's my point. They had the resources. Investigate right, we were just kind of talking and griping and complaining and saying what we knew in our hearts. But Sports Illustrated was jacked up with some cash and they spent the money. They sent a crack team of investigative reporters to look at documents and find out how old this kid was. Well, Solomon had all the resources at his disposal. And he said, I am struggling to sleep at night. We just saw the verse, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 22 and 23. I'm struggling. My mind has a hard time at rest. And I'm wondering my purpose. Look what Jeremiah the prophet says here. Why was I even born? Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? This morning, for some of you, that's what keeps you up. Does my life matter? Is there really a God beyond what I, the structure that I walk into on Sunday morning or what I'm taught by living in the South in America? Is there a God and does He care for me? Is He there and does He care and is He real and does He really have a plan for my life? And can I know that plan? Carl Young, who was a pastor and a famous, uh, went on to be a famous philosopher, he said, I don't know if there's a meaning in life. I think there is. There seems to be something out there. And I say to that, well, thank you, Carl, for that great insight. That's so helpful, isn't it? You may may be at a point in life where you say, you know, I've got a career, but I don't have a calling. I'm walking a path, but I don't have a purpose. And I want us to look at Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Let's put it up. To the choir master, according to do not destroy. Okay, this is the intro. Let's Be merciful to me. Here we go. Start at that part. This is David riding from a cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a snare for my steps. My soul was bowed down. If you turn to page 477, if you did and you look at the top, it'll say in that ESV study Bible or any good study Bible that you might have in front of you, it says David writing from a cave. Now, why was David writing from a cave? David was the heir apparent, the designated successor to be king of Israel. That's a pretty good gig, isn't it? But the current king was King Saul and King Saul was really uncomfortable about the idea of David taking the throne and he sought to kill David. He was after him. He had him run out of the country and thousands of soldiers were in hot pursuit of David. Therefore, he's in a cave. I mean, if you have the choices, be captured, be killed, hang out in a cave, you're gonna take the cave. And David from the cave, knowing that he could have been king It was about to be king, and now he wasn't sure, he writes this and talks about the purpose that God has in his life. And here's the tough thing. If you have a career but not a calling, if, if you're walking down a path but you don't know its purpose, it's hard really to, to get through anything. And every uh, it, there's a song out today. It's like you're, you're like a small boat, a tiny boat on the ocean. It's a tough place to be if you don't know your purpose and have a sense of God's sovereignty and providence in your life. A couple of ways to illustrate this. Let's say that your boss tells you that you've got to go into work on Saturday morning. You don't, You work Monday through Friday, but you have to go in on Saturday and it's, it's not overtime. There's no overtime pay for it. It's just weekend work. Right, You post online, you're resentful and you post online, worst weekend ever, hoping your boss doesn't see your post. And you, your boss says to you, when you go in, I want you to open up, there are 10,000 envelopes and your job on Saturday is to take all day and to open up all of those 10,000 envelopes. Resentment is going to build up in you. But if that boss tells you, this is my silly illustration, but if that boss tells you that in one of those 10,000 envelopes is a $100,000 bonus check how does that change your resentment how does that change the way that you work now you have to find that check you have to in order to get that $100,000 bonus check you got to find that check you got to open the envelope that has that check in it and suddenly the resentment melts away and you become excited you're already thinking Man, you're opening every envelope like a Wonka bar, man, and you're just excited about finding that check. It's the same. Listen to me. It's the same tedious job, but now there's a purpose. Second illustration. Let's say you're a doctor and you've got to tell a woman that she has a condition, and that condition is going to invariably cause her to gain uh, ten inches in her waist, and over the next few months, thirty pounds. She's going to punch you, isn't she? (laughs) My wife heard that three times, and she rejoiced each time. She came home, and I rejoiced with her. We're pregnant. You see, there's 10 inches around the waist and 30 pounds, even for little petite Susan. But there's a purpose behind it. There's going to be something good that comes out of the growth and the pain and the change. Something good. This song, think about it if you're David, if you understand just a little bit of the background, not telling you a lot, just a little bit of what we know, but think about it. I'm going to be king. Yes, I'm going to be king. And David probably, I'm guessing here, but David probably began to find some of his safety, some of his security, some of his identity in that. And before he knows it, he's in a cave. But he's saying some powerful things to us this morning. Some powerful things about God's work and his purpose. So I want to give you three in the balance of our time this morning. Three things about purpose that can create peace in your life, can create rest. The first is this from this passage. God has a purpose for you, but it's not about you. God has a purpose for you, but it's not about you. Years ago, a pastor wrote a book about purpose-driven life, and this was the opening line in his book. So if you want to slap me with plagiarism, I'm guilty. But look at what David says in, verse, in Psalm 57, verse 5 and verse 11. If you have an open Bible, look down there. Let your, your glory, let it, let, it, let it rise above the heavens, let it fill the earth. He says that in verse 5. He says the very, thing, the very same thing in verse 11. Your glory, O God, let it be above all the earth. Let it be, let it reign in the heavens. Your glory, God, your glory. In Psalm 115 and verse one, later, there's this idea, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us be glory, but only to your name. God has a purpose, but it's not about you. If life becomes about you, it's corrosive. It's it's bad. Who does it affect? You and everybody in your life. If life becomes about you, God has a purpose, but it's not about you. I remember many many years ago moved into a house and there was um, a water system, um, a water softening system. You know about water softening systems. To me, water's already soft. I didn't really get the idea. It's some mechanical appliance. And I didn't really know it had to do with, uh, you know, I mean, the the effects range from everything from, from your dishes being really clean without spots to your diet, your liquid diet being good. But I didn't understand a water softening system. And so what did I do? I went to the source. I went to the source and I asked the water softening system, what do you do? What is your purpose? I do not know. And what did the water softening system say back to me? Neither do I. Right? Because the water softening system cannot look within itself. It's gotta look to its designer, its manufacturer, its creator. The same is true for you. There's a legion of books and material and information and pixels on screens out there on the internet about finding your purpose, what, within. Some of it to some extent can be helpful, but you'll never find your ultimate purpose from within. You and I have to look to the manufacturer, to the designer, to the creator. Jesus came not to be one important planet in the solar system. Jesus came to be the center of the world, of the solar system, to be the center of your life, not around somewhere around the circumference, but to be at the very center of your life. What does your life look like? What is your heart when life is about you? When your prayer is, God, I've got this purpose. I want you to bless it. Here's my plan. Here's my career. Make it a calling. Here's my path. Make it purposeful. God, here's what I've chosen here's who I am. I've looked within. This is my heart. This is the way I'm going. God bless it. What does that life look like? What's the end game to that? I'm telling you this morning that many of us lack peace because we've created our own purpose and we're looking within. And your heart is a beautiful thing. How many of you agree, man, I, I got a beautiful heart, but a heart, isn't it a beautiful thing? God is, I mean, follow your heart, right? But before you go too far there, just remember what Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who could understand it? Be careful looking within to follow and find a purpose. Be careful the teachers that you sit under, be careful the church that you choose, be careful uh, who is a leader or leaders in your life who speaks into your life. You're not going to find it within you're gonna find it above, you're gonna find it without, you're gonna find it in its transcendence, in God's glory. God has a purpose for you, but it's not about you. The psalmist would pray in the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119 and verse 37, he would pray this, keep my eyes, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Jeremiah chapter two, in verse 5 says this about idols in our heart, your heart and mine, we just manufacture idols. They follow, I'm gonna read the last part of this. They followed worthless idols. And listen to this. Sit, look at the obvious parallel, and they became worthless themselves. Now that's that's obvious in the passage, but not obvious in our lives. You see, we become what we worship. Do you believe that? If you worship superficial things, your life will become superficial. If you worship evil things, your life will become evil. If you worship perverse things, your life will become perverse. If you worship material things, your life will be about stuff. If you worship God, you will become godly. Our hearts We wrongly, erroneously think that we can find purpose within, and we begin to think that it's about us, about God blessing our ways. And before long, we've turned from him, and we're looking at worthless things. And we don't say it as such, but we worship. We set our affections and our hearts on things, and what happens over time, we become those things. Powerful statement from the prophet Jeremiah they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. The second thing I want to say from Psalm 57 is that God has a purpose for you. It's mostly about what he's doing in you. Circle that word I in, what he's doing in you. Said it earlier, but David was about to become king. Pretty cool, pretty cool gig to be a king of Israel to follow Saul, to, to, be a, to be the one who's going to reign. Because when you're, when you're a king, what you're in control. You have this status like nobody else's status and you get to call the shots. You're the one making the decisions. You're the one who defers to other people. Other people have to do your bidding. And David was in so many ways thankful for what God had done for him. But what about God, what God was doing in him? Christmas morning, we, we stayed here and we opened presents. My mom was here. Some of you met her or visited with her at Christmas Eve. Isn't she a great lady? She, uh, she was with us. And so Susan and I with our kids and my mom, we uh, opened presents together. I didn't open anything, kind of a raw deal, but we'll rethink that for next year. There were four stockings that Susan placed on the mantle. You, why four? We've got three kids. Why the fourth? What's your guess there? Yeah, some of you know me too well. The fourth one was for our dog. And there was something in there for him. He went and sniffed it. And the kids were ripping into their presence. And I was on the couch. And within a matter of minutes, um, guess where the dog went? To the couch next to me. Now, y'all know some preachers exaggerate, right? I don't, okay? I'm just telling you. Preacher, I mean, exaggerating is a form of lying, okay? I mean, they can tell you this is true. So what did my dog do? My almost 80-pound golden retriever, they're opening, the kids are opening gifts because they're really focused on the gifts, not the giver of the gifts, which would be me. But the dog comes to the couch and sits next to me, and no fooling, he puts his arm around me. And I, we were wondering, how's this going to work? Because we've always been out west in California, and he's always been in a crate at a vet. And we were thinking, man, he's going to go nuts. He's going to be grabbing the bows and the ribbons and the gifts and running around wanting us to chase him because goldens are very playful. And he just pops down to me on the couch, and he puts his arm around me. He's like, and he did like this. I'm telling the truth, right? It was amazing. And he just puts his arm around me and kind of pulled me close like this, and he's just sitting there. And he's watching these ungrateful kids of mine. Open their gifts. And he's just saying to me, not literally, of course, but just by his actions, he's saying to me and everybody there, he's just saying, Dad, you're my gift. You're my gift. I I don't, I don't need this stuff that they need, this sense of entitlement that it's inflaming in their hearts. I just want to be with you. My identity, my safety, my security, it's with you. Here's what I want to say to you. The truth of this passage is that David was excited about the gifts that God was giving him. And I bet you he found his safety, identity, and security in those gifts of what the Lord had done for him. Let me just say this just for context. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God gives you good gifts. And those gifts he gives you are to be opened and savored and enjoyed like a child, a grateful child, on Christmas morning. You with me? God does things for you. Aren't you glad? But something deeper in that is what God wants to do in you. And if you're finding, just as David did, David's heart, I'm guessing, began to swell. I'm getting gifts. I'm going to be king. Imagine all the gifts I'm going to be as king. And before he knew it, he's in a cave. And I want to say this, God will attack, he will attack the place you're in to show you that it's not a permanent place of refuge. So if you're hiding in the gifts and what God is doing for you, and that's your identity, security, and safety, then he's going to attack that. And David was very literally attacked. Now, how you and I are attacked, I mean, we're not, we're not looking at lions and, and beasts and all the things that David talks about in this psalm. That's not what we're going to talk about in January. We're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about regret. We're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about the things that keep us up at night. But we have very real enemies in our lives. And David, if you read this, study it later. There's just some beauty in this psalm 57 about the, the work that God is doing in him. Not so much the things that God is doing for him. God will attack the place of refuge in your life to show you that it's not a permanent home. It's funny, when worship starts, some of you, not going to try to look at anybody when I say this, I'll just stare at the ceiling, but some of you come into church late. Have you noticed? And some of you will be adjusting, you'll be looking for your seat. And it's funny, I'll be here and I'll watch you. And if you have to walk down front, I sort of appreciate this, but it's kind of silly and I do it some too. But when you're walking and and we're singing, you'll kind of go. You know, you'll find your seat and everybody's standing, you'll go. And can I just say, we see you, right? (laughs) I don't know that that's really helping the cause. And in a way, it's sort of a polite gesture of like, I know I should have been on time and Robert's looking at me and God's always watching. And, you know, but you kind of, And then you get, you're like that, right? But you're not, look, newsflash, you're not hiding. (laughs) And some of the places that we think we're hiding that are finding us refuge are kind of silly. But David's in a cave. And let me just state the obvious. You'll be in a cave too. You may be in a cave right now. And it could be a beautiful place. The third point I want to say as we close is this. God has a purpose for you. If you are surrendered, he will fulfill it. Look at, look at what he says in verse 2. He says that very thing. I cry out. I cry out for God's mercy. He will fulfill. Still got your Bible open? Verse 2, something he said. He will fulfill his purpose for me, in me. He will fulfill His purpose. I cry out. There's that condition of crying out for mercy, of knowing that we need his salvation. To know that our places of refuge are not good enough, that we need his grace. He cries out for mercy. God has a purpose for you. If you're surrendered, he will fulfill it. Now, the Hebrew word there is gahab, and that word means to bring to an end, to bring to completion. God really cares that you and I finish what we start. Got any New Year's resolutions? Did you look back and go, mm, I should have finished this? I bet for a lot of you, you're starting, you did not finished a bunch of stuff, you're just gonna start a whole bunch of new things, right? I mean, I, I feel you. I'm, I'm the same way. There's about 37 things you didn't finish. You didn't bring them to completion, but you're gonna start 117 new things. Jesus taught a parable in Luke 14. If, if a man, if someone goes to war or if they build a tower, do they not first sit down and count the cost? Why? To see if they have the materials, to see if they have the weapons, to see if they can win the war or build the tower. What do you got to look at? What's the goal? To see if you can complete it. To see if you can finish what you start because it matters. It matters to God that we finish what we start. It matters probably to the If you're sitting next to somebody you love, it, it matters to them that you finish what you start. And it matters to you Really? It chips away at our sense of well-being, our self-esteem, if we don't finish things that we start, if we have a lot of unfinished projects. And God is saying, I want you to do that. And you know who does that? God. God. I remember when my kids were little, you know, you 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 teach them, finish what you start, finish what you start. And when they're little bitty babies, you look at those coloring books. You, you know, you look through the coloring books, it's like just a, one line on every page. Just one line on every page. You're like, finish something, right? Like, color it in, do the teddy bear, then move to this, then do that. You know, and it's just like one coloring book with just something on every page. Finish what you started. Here's what's beautiful. You are what God started. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you, he will complete it. He will finish it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. You are God's work of art. And he desires to finish what he starts in you. Now, you know, I can fade away. I can drift away. I can wander from the truth. The Bible talks a lot about stuff like that. I can grow weary in doing good. I can quit. But he desires to finish the work that he started. He who began that good work... He will finish it. David says he will fulfill his purpose in me. And I love what he, what he says in verse four. Still have an open Bible look down. He says, I will lie down. But because this is that way I, as I've studied it, this way I've interpreted it. Because God will fulfill his purpose in verse two. He says in verse four, I will lie down in the midst of the fiery beast. And verse seven, I will rise up early and make melody to the Lord. Because God will fulfill his purpose. I will be able in the midst of it. And I love that idea because here's the way I look at it. Look, it's, um, I'll talk more about this as the Sundays progress, but sleep for me has always been a funny thing. I've got a very fast brain and it moves at a different speed and I've got some you know, stuff in there. And there's just a lot that moves fast. In the midst of, I don't know if we can put Proverbs, I'm out of order here, but Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 24, if we can put that up as we close. This is the prayer that I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to preach these passages, but I'm going to pray this for you, for our church. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, say it with me, your sleep will be sweet. My mom has prayed that prayer for me in my life. I have prayed that prayer in my own life. And I'm going to pray it for you. I'm going to pray it for Fondren Church. That our sleep will be sweet. That we will learn to trust him. Because you, God, will fulfill your purposes in me. I will lie down in the midst of the fiery beast. Do you get what I'm saying to you? It's not that the fiery beasts are going to go away. But in the midst of it. You will lie down. I will lie down. For 2016, I got a new backpack. I got a new journal. I'm already filling the thing up. And a lot of things I'm filling them up are just crazy thoughts and dreams and plans and hopes and inspirations and fears and things that plague me, things that concern me, things that could trip me up. And I'm just writing all these things down. But I'm praying that in the midst of all the fiery beasts, that I will find peace and rest and strength in Him. And you know what I can do? I can look back to 2015. And I can say it's one of the hardest years I've ever been through. But He's faithful, He's good, He's seen me through. And you know what? 15, don't want to do it again, but it's given me strength for 16. He will fulfill. His purpose in me. Watch me. Watch what He does. Watch me grow old if you're still around. He will fulfill His purpose in me. I pray that He will. And I pray that He will in you. And the gift of that is we can lie down in the midst of the fiery beast. And we can rise up early and make melody to the Lord. Even in the midst of it, there can be great He has a purpose for you. And understanding that will get you through so very much. Let's pray.